Welcome to Mock 10 Sports in this April 2nd, 2023 episode. We're in week six of college football, guys. We're heading into it. We just approached it. That is crazy to say. I say it every week. I feel like every recap on Monday, I'm talking about how fast the season is going by. It's nuts. It, it, really, it really is. Uh, where do things stand in the SEC right now? Been a very intriguing, and I'm not just saying this, it sounds cliche, but a very fun season so far. It's week to week, you just don't know what's going to hit you. I mean, we got a massive showdown in Como this week, just for an example. We got a massive showdown in College Station to determine who's in the driver's seat of the SEC West. Also, I mean, unless you, you've been outside, it's, it's October 2nd. You start to feel it. If you didn't know, I live in Oxford, Mississippi. I was checking the weather this week. You, on Saturday, I believe, Saturday night for the Ole Miss-Arkansas game. I'm not going to be there, but it's going to be in the low 40s. It's going to be in the low 40s. We're talking temperatures already dropping to low 40s. October 2nd, it's getting darker outside. Hey, better appreciate these weekends for what they are. We only get 12 to 13 of them a year. Better start taking advantage of them. But again, a very fun weekend coming up. Very tone-setting type weekend. You, It's come to show in the SEC so far. The transitive property wins do not exist this season. Just because Alabama has struggled and shut down Ole Miss two weeks ago, from a defensive standpoint, shut down Ole Miss. That doesn't mean Ole Miss is going to go lose to LSU. It's just not A plus B equals C this season. It's just not. I mean, you look at the Auburn game, took Georgia down to the wire with five to six minutes left. We'll get into that action. But there's no, it's not a two or three top-heavy teams that kind of dominate, hey, we'll get to the SEC championship game where all the playing field is even. It's not that this year. though. It is all over the place this year. It'll be interesting. No, no guests tonight. I know that sounds weird. But we're going to get right Two, some week five review around the SEC, some game on pitch review, another fantastic weekend. I'm looking at it right now. Five, three, and one, just over 50%, just where we want to be. I told you, more film equals more money in your pocket. She keeps sticking with it. But today, it's just it's just me. It's just good old Dave and you. It's just like the heavyweights quote, if you've seen the movie with Ben Stiller, the fat camp movie. It's just you and your dear old, it's our mother earth, father, or was it, father, Father Sky, Mother Earth, and your dear old Uncle Tony. It's what we got here tonight. But in all seriousness, we got seven games to review from week five around the SEC, very in-depth today, maybe the most in-depth we've had all, all season, if I'm being honest with you. I told you, money-making review, fantastic weekend. We're, start, woo, we're starting to hit our stride on that one. And finally, we'll touch on some uh, upcoming weekend's games, week six. Uh, we're starting to get into bye weeks. we got three teams in the conference on bye weeks in week six. Auburn, South Carolina, and Tennessee are all off this weekend. Uh, but let's get around the SEC. I mean, SEC week TV, week seven TV schedule announced. Let's get real. Let me share the screen for you real fast so we can go through that. Oh, it's always an exciting time. It's always fun when you're in college football. You'd always see, all right, what time's the game at? So am I going to be home to watch in the afternoon games? But here we are, week seven, October 14th. We got Georgia at Vandy. It's it's CBS doubleheader week for the first one. So we got Georgia at Vandy. Uh, it's the 11 a.m. Central CBS game in Nashville. Arkansas at Alabama, it's the 11 a.m. Central ESPN game uh, for next week. Then we got the 2.30 CBS game, Texas A&M heading to Neyland Stadium to face Tennessee. That'll be the 2.30 p.m. prime CBS game, SEC on CBS. Excuse me. Uh, Florida at South Carolina will be the 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone ESPN SEC Network game. That's a big one. That's a big one. 
Florida plays Vandy this week. South Carolina's off. South Carolina's got to get some things fixed during their bye week. That's a must win for both teams, though. Keep an eye on that one on the SEC Network at 2.30. Missouri at Kentucky, uh, it's either ESPN or SEC Network, 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone. Then finally, we got at uh, Auburn at Ole Miss, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone. Or sorry, Auburn at LSU in Tiger Stadium, ESPN or SEC Network, uh, 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone. So it looks like it's Missouri, Kentucky, uh, and Auburn, LSU are all going to be in that 6 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone standpoint. It's just whether they're going to be on ESPN or SEC Network. Uh, I, I bet that Auburn LSU games on ESPN, they push the Mizzou Kentucky game, that SEC Network night game with Tom Hart, Cole Kublick, and Jordan Rogers. But that's the that's the week 17 review that they announced. We've not had any, they didn't push, they didn't push the, uh, the they didn't extended the window, I should say. They've came out. We got our first SEC uh, CBS doubleheader, but again, that is the week seven schedule, October 14th. Uh, on that one. Flipping back here to you, back to around the SEC. Uh, today's press conference, you know, the SEC coaches hold their press conferences on Monday. Nick Saban said outside linebacker Jeremiah Alexander, uh, who a lot of people will probably remember from Thompson High School, has moved from outside linebacker to inside linebacker for right now. And Saban said it may be full-time. Uh, interesting move there if that is true uh, for Alabama. I think a reporter saw that in the pregame warm-ups. Jeremiah Alexander was with the inside linebackers going through drills. Uh, is that because of uh, Deontay Lawson's drill? I don't know, but interesting move. I kind of like it. I like his upside on the uh, on the inside. Sam Pittman, on if he's going to start being a little more hands-on with the offensive line unit for the Razorbacks. That's just really struggling. Quote, on the field, not a tremendous amount. I'm, I'm not really involved. Uh, Pittman said when asked on how, on how hands-on he is with the offensive line. You know, we've got a great offensive line coach. He's talking about Cody Kennedy. Same one that led the Power Five in rushing two years ago and the same one everybody tries to get when the season is over every year. So essentially, it's, it's like a father-son type relationship here from what I can tell with Cody Kennedy and Sam Pittman. He's going to stick up for him. Uh, seems like it's a little bit personnel. Probably so. I don't think Cody Kennedy's just a terrible offensive line coach, and that's why Arkansas is not very good, giving up multiple sacks to A&M, 15 tackles for a loss. I don't think it's just Cody Kennedy's a bad coach. Not about I think just from a roster management standpoint, we'll get into it, but maybe a little bit too low to the current guys on the roster. But Sam Pittman sti sticking up for his offensive line coach. Billy Napier kind of sticking up for himself here. was asked if he considered giving up play calling. Asked if he's considered giving up play calling. Napier said he's a lot more critical of himself than, quote, anyone on the outside is and that he will continue to be the play caller. Florida fans didn't like that, but it is what it is. It's just one game. I didn't really think the game plan against Kentucky this past weekend for Florida was that bad. I just think there was a, some disinterest from Florida for whatever reason. That's just from looking through a 35,000-foot view from watching it on Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. I don't really I didn't really dislike the play call. I mean, they got down 23 to nothing real fast. 17, 23, nothing right off the bat. Your game plan is going to change, especially when you're not an explosive offense. Anyways, give, give, give Napier some time. Bad loss this past week. Not really because you lost to Kentucky, just how you did. You got physically uh, handled. Team didn't really seem like they were focused. Early game in Lexington, I don't know what it is. Don't really think it's Billy Napier's play call, but Florida fans aren't happy. Billy Napier said he's not ready to turn that play calling duties over yet. LSU announced they're bringing back legendary defensive coach Pete Jenkins as an analyst after the defensive struggles. He's been around the game forever. Uh, a Louisiana guy through and through, close with Ed Orgeron, close with Nick Saban. The defensive line gurus of gurus. Uh, but, but my point here is, why is he just coming on now? Why, why not when Jimmy Lindsey 
Uh, the defensive line coach, they had to rush the hospital, still prayers with him. Well, why wasn't this done after that, immediately after that? Why not bring in Pete Jenkins in? And, again, I don't know the whole side of it. Maybe Pete Jenkins couldn't come on then. It's kind of strange he could come in week six. Uh, but I, I just don't understand that. Like, why wouldn't you bring him in then? That would make more sense. Instead of, hey, you know, we're kind of struggling on D week six. Uh, let's bring in Pete Jenkins. I don't know how much that's really going to fix in, Pete, in week six. That's no offense to Pete Jenkins, one of the all-time great technicians, technical defensive line coaches out there. It's no shame to hinge. Why now? Why not when Jimmy Lindsey went and uh, had his whole uh, medical procedure? And, again, prayers with him from a, that standpoint. But I'm actually checking on to see if there's any updates on Jimmy Lindsey. No, no, nothing. But, yeah, again, why, why would you not bring that in when that happened? That just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Hugh Freeze, Mason's Georgia and Auburn may not be playing anymore. Kind of got hinted at by Kirby Smart and Hugh Freeze. It's not official. Uh, they're playing in 24, but 20, outside of 25, I don't know after that. That would be bad. Uh, oldest rivalry in the South. But why, let's keep that. Come on now. Let's just don't be mixing in Texas, Oklahoma, playing Georgia, Alabama, LSU, uh, in Florida or Tennessee every year just to get those names. But they're ultimately going to – there's so many teams in the league now. We're rotating. It's going to be fine. Just keep the core rivalries here. That would be very disappointing if the Georgia-Auburn game um, went away. But that's around the SEC um, – Right now, but let's go. I told you we're gonna usually talk money making weekend review at the end of the show. We're pushing it up, baby. We don't have a guest day. We're pushing it up. But again, five, three, and one this past weekend. We're twenty-five and twenty-four on the season. Fifty-one percent on the season. Uh, let's share the screen here so I can show you that graphic. Here we go. All right, reviewing them. Five, three, and one. We tied it. Over-unders here. Back-to-back -back weeks, we've just we pushed. Uh, the Auburn-Georgia one, under 47. It hit 47. Starting at the top, Florida plus three did not cover that one. Kentucky, we'll get into it in a minute. Just totally mauled Florida. Uh, this game, this one was never close. I lost this one almost right when Tomat Leather. Uh, but lost that one. But you know what? We bounced back. I got a lot of crap from South Carolina fans pr for predicting that Tennessee was going to go uh, – and play one of their better games of the season. I actually thought they'd play a little, maybe a little better than they even did, but the game went about how I thought. Thought they would cover minus two, 12 and a half easily. They did. That's one win for us. Missouri minus 13 against Vandy. You almost start betting against Vandy every week. You really do. And that's someone that's coming from someone who took the over win total three and a half Vanderbilt. My mistake. That's a loss by me. But hey, the more information we get, the more we don't die on hills here. The more information we get, we're willing to change our opinion here. But I took Missouri minus 13 against Vandy, another win. Texas minus 16 and a half against Kansas. Once Jane Daniels was not playing, or Jalen Daniels was not playing for Kansas, I knew I had this one covered. Texas covers this one, pulls away in the second half. BYU on Friday night in Cincinnati covered it, minus one and a half pretty easily there. Iowa State took a little gamble here. I thought Oklahoma may be looking ahead to the Red River rivalry, Red River shootout this upcoming week against Texas. Got the plus 21. Yeah, lost that one. Wasn't good. Fresno State, by half a point, baby. Covered the first half, minus 13 and a half against Nevada. Easy win right there. I told you, Auburn versus Georgia, we pushed. Last week, we pushed the Florida State Clemson under, too. That was an interesting one. Under, uh, under 47, we pushed. It was 47 exactly. And then I took the L and the other under. I mean, Michigan at 40 by themselves. So uh, Michigan versus Nebraska did not cover for me. But again, man, we're having good weeks now. But again, because it, 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 it's more film. It's more film. I mean, that's why. 
We're getting more film around here. Again, 5-3-1 this past weekend, 25-24 and 24 on the season. Good for 51% of the season. I'm trying to get to 60 by the end of the year, guys. I'm giving you my goal. Let's see if we can meet them. Hold me accountable. But, again, as we keep going, I told you, once we got about week three, week four, start paying attention. I've been getting more texts, asking for more advice from people. Just letting you know. Just letting you know. But, all right, let's get to it. Week five results. Ole Miss over LSU, 55-49. Massive win for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Biggest win in his Ole Miss tenure, in my opinion. Fantastic game plan by Lane Kiffin and Charlie Weiss Jr. They were willing to change, mix some things up, saw some things on film they like. It confused LSU, and they did a fantastic job. Tip of the cap to them. They started, I mean, if you watch it, you back and watch the film. They started running more pistol formation this week. That evened things up because he's lined up right behind you. When it's just offset to one side, that kind of limits – on what kind of runs you can do. I mean, it's, he's he's off to the right side. Nine times out of ten, that's going to go in between the middle and the left. Like, when he's sitting right behind him, and it's pretty even. That could go either way. The defense doesn't really know exactly how to attack that. Um, quick throws by Jackson Dart. Didn't let him sit back there long. Great plan overall. Tip of the cap to the Ole Miss offensive line. They did fantastic. But honestly, I mean, both offenses did whatever they wanted. I mean, combined – 1,343 yards and 104 points scored. We're almost talking 1,400 points or 1,400 yards and 104 points scored. Both Jaden Daniels and Jackson Dart had days, man, of days. Jackson Dart, 26 for 39, 389 yards, four touchdowns. Jaden Daniels, 27 for 36, 414, four touchdowns himself. I mean, Jaden Daniels, some of those balls to Brian Thomas Jr., NFL-type throws were Brian Thomas Jr. was the only one that could potentially catch that football. Just dropping him in a bucket. It looked kind of like Joe Burrow. I mean, putting on a high pedestal. Joe Burrow, the offensive general kind of looks like the 2019 offense, if I'm being honest with you. You throw in kind of Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, that's kind of Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas this year. And I was concerned who's going to help Malik Neighbors over the past two or three weeks. That's been Brian Thomas Jr. Tip of the cap to you, son. You've been stepping up. Uh, like I said, you, you throw in the development of Brian Thomas Jr. to go along with Malik Neighbors and Mason Taylor, LSU is the best offense in the SEC right now. I know people are like, well, Ole Miss beat them. They outscored them. They couldn't stop them. From top to bottom, from top to bottom, I'm not talking just about one game. As you saw in my power rankings, we'll get in that in a minute, but social media, I had Ole Miss ahead of LSU, but I still would take LSU's offense. I mean, Jane Daniels played at a very high level right now. Ole Miss, really good as well. As I mentioned, Jackson Dart played phenomenal, but the offensive line, man, played its tail off. Trey Harris and Caden pre-scoring, getting healthier. Both combined for 11 catches and a touchdown, something the Rebs have been missing the last few weeks. They're playmakers. They came back a little bit against Alabama. Pre-scoring had the first catch of the game against Alabama. You saw Trayers a little bit, but you could tell they were just kind of getting acclimated again. They were just kind of getting acclimated again. But the thing I was very surprised about, almost getting the run game going, man. Right off the bat, I mean, God, I did not expect that. Tip of the cap. To, to Lane giving him, I told you, go back from the pistol formation instead of offset, just opens up a lot more. 317 yards on the ground. Quinchon Judkins had 177 alone. I did not think that would happen. That's where I was wrong this weekend. We're not going to do a formal where I was wrong, where I was right, but I'm telling you right now in this review of the Ole Miss LSU game, I was wrong. I, and I think a lot of people would never have guessed Ole Miss would be able to run on anyone or LSU like that with the way their offensive line has been played. But tip of the cap, like I said, Lane Kiffin, Charlie watching for changing it up. Go back and watch it. You'll notice Quinchon Judkins, Ulysses Bentley, Ulysses Bentley uh, more in the pistol formation instead of offset. But, again, two shades to the Ole Miss offensive line. The LSU defensive line and edge defenders struggled. I mean, the whole LSU offense in general struggled. Just LSU, 
Madhouse and the guys. Just an undisciplined defense right now. Communication with Denver Harris and Sage Ryan, the corner nickelback, both of them. Remember Denver Harris, the AM transfer. They have to start communicating better. You back and watch the film. They're both turning around playing palms up defense. Like, what are we doing? I mean, LG's blitzing through the same gaps. Tackling's poor. Poor angles. Playing with no football intelligence or football, no football FBI, no football intelligence. And I'm about to pull up the film here. The way they defended the quick pitch was not good either. I mean, let's go to it right now. Pulling it up. See, yep. All right, here we go. So we got 341 left in the third, first and 10. I think Yellow Olmish just got the football here, but I noticed this last night. So you got Savion Jones right here, outside edge, number 35 for LSU. This is a typical play if you watch Ole Miss ever. If you watch Ole Miss ever, if you watch any Ole Miss football, just a little shovel pass, they run to their running backs. You know what? He was in pistol. Now he's offset. Why are you crashing down like that, Savion? I mean, what are we doing, man? You know he's going to pitch that. If you stay outside, keep containment, that's just going to push things back to the middle for your offense. For who is that? I don't know if that's Greg Penn or what. But it's an inside linebacker come over, maybe Obar Spates, come over to, to funnel it back to the inside for him to tackle. But, I mean, what, why are you squeezing down like that? When you see him take that snap, and look, Oh, well, let's not forget this either. Talk about communication issues here for LSU. Look at the two corners here at the end, or at the bottom of the screen here. This is Sage Ryan, I believe, or Welch. I can't remember. This is definitely Denver Harris, though, number 10. Look, right for the ball snap. Turn around. Well, what are we running? No clue. He goes back inside. Are we playing zone or man? Yeah, dude, that, that, that ain't it. That, that, that ain't it. I believe that's Welch, the guy playing the corner right there. Playing inside right there. It's that's it, just no clue what's going on here. Palms up. What are we running here? Savion Jones just crashing inside when you know this play's going outside. What are you doing, man? What are you doing? Keep containment. Just LSU overall, just an undisciplined team. Just there's not a lot of football intelligence level on the front seven. Bring in Pete Jenkins now. Inside linebacker struggled. I mean, everybody struggled. It's easier to name who didn't struggle. Mason Smith hadn't really came back from his injury well either. It's just, it's not good right now. It, it, they're just, they're not doing anything well. It's not doing anything well. Uh, again, why is Pete Jenkins coming on now? I mean, better late than never, I guess. But, I mean, what, what's that really going to change? I mean, Ole Miss won the edges all night. That's really a lot of the reason why they rushed, ran all over them, got the run game going. And then I'm about to pull up something else for you here. Harold Perkins, they always want to move him. They always want to move him on the edge on third down. Well, it's his second year playing college football. Now. It's about time my guy Harold Perkins develops another pass move, a pass rush move here. He has no counter move right here. Let's, off the third and 10. Let's, Let's go back. All right, third and 10. He just goes with the ghost move. It's always just trying to get under, and if it's not there, it's over. I mean, what are we doing here? The left tackle is sitting here like, yeah, I know this guy's move. It's been on my tip sheet all week. And if you don't know what a tip sheet is, uh, as a fan, the analyst position coaches go through tips. Hey, you know, this for any side of the ball, really, like, hey, this is what he likes to do. He likes to set you up for uh, – he, he's a speed-to-power guy. Or he likes to go underneath. He doesn't really have much of a counter move. Almost probably talked about it all week. Like, hey, look, he just tries to go under, goes ghost move on you. And it's just not working. That's He has no counter move right now. Has all the potential in the world. Where's the development? Now, Pete Jenkins may help this, 
I know he's not a traditional down lineman, but he could probably help from an edge standpoint when they move him there on third down. It's just the little things, man. I mean, last one more time. LSU is just not a well-developed, disciplined defensive football team. They can score with anybody. Defense, man. Defense, just not a lot of development. Guys kind of playing palms up D, don't really know what's going on. It's not good. I mean, it's not good at all. We'll go back. But LSU was bad. No Miss wasn't any better, though, on defense. I mean, LSU fans all over Madhouse right now. But if Ole Miss would have lost that game, if Ole Miss would have lost that game, and Lane Kiffin, you could tell, was kind of pissed they left some time left on. He thought they may go down and get them beat. Some people talking about going for two instead of passing because you wouldn't want LSU to go take a pick – not a pick six, but a pick two, I guess, on the two-point conversion. And then they're kicking LSU, and all LSU has to go get is a field goal to win it because they'd be down two. So that was talked about too. But my point being, Ole Miss fans would be all over Pete Golden. He'd be in the same boat if Ole Miss would have lost that game. Wasn't that far off. But, man, what, what a great game plan by Lane Kiffin and Charlie Weisinger. I mean, this game really came down to that Ole Miss got a last a drive, a stop in the last drive with the time running out. And then the first quarter turnover when Jane Daniels, that was the only turnover of the game, took the shot and he fumbled. That's probably That was the difference. Whoever had the ball last, I get technically LSU lost it though. Ole Miss got the last stop and the turnover in the first quarter with a big hit on Jaden Daniels. That was the game. That was the game. But what's next for both these teams? LSU heads into a must-win situation at Mizzou this week. An undefeated Missouri team. I bet Como is going to be rocking. Uh, that'll be an 11 a.m. game on ESPN. Ole Miss gets Arkansas in town. LSU has to have it this week. Ole Miss with a win, though, sets themselves up in a good spot and heading to the bye week, especially they're big A&M fans this week, especially if A&M beats Alabama. Ole Miss needs Alabama to lose two games, which that's not a crazy thought. It could happen, especially with the way the SEC and the SEC West specifically is this year. That could easily happen. So not crazy, but, man, what a fun game. Uh, heard the atmosphere was incredible. People who went said it's one of their – one of the best games they've been to. If you're an offensive guy, you loved it. But the final, Ole Miss getting a 55-49 win over LSU. Massive win for Lane Kiffin. Massive win for Lane Kiffin overall. But Texas A&M getting the 34-22 win over Arkansas and Arlington. The A&M defensive line was an outstanding unit on Saturday. I mean, the Aggie defense collected seven sacks and kept K.J. Jefferson in check. His longest run was 10 yards. They did a really good job tackling this week. Probably one of the better jobs I've seen anyone on KJ Jefferson in a while. He, he tries to avoid ta- uh, sacks because he's just got natural strength in his lower body. It's hard to bring him down. But how about those ags on third down on both sides of the ball? The offense converting currently at a 50% rate, which is 13th nationally. And the defense holding opposing offenses to third, third down conversion rate of 23%, which is good for third nationally. Third down in, on the defensive line, they're winning right now. It's a recipe for success. Now, all this is coming against two poor offensive lines, but how many good offensive lines are there in the SEC in general this year? I mean, everybody in the SEC, maybe outside of LSU and Georgia, have just major offensive line issues. And I guess Ole Miss came out of it, came out of it this past week. But again, Texas A&M's defense totaled seven sacks for a loss of 41 yards and 15 tackles for a loss of 57 yards. And Arkansas's 13 drives, listen to this, five of them were, th- were three and outs and three of those re- – Five resulted in negative yardage. Let me repeat it. On Arkansas's 13 drives, five of them were three and outs, and three of those five resulted in negative yards. That's just it's not getting it done up front. 
I mean, second consecutive game for the Aggies was seven sacks or more. The last SEC team to do that was Auburn in 2014, the undefeated Auburn team with Gene Chizik running that defense. AM's offensive line, a defensive line, I mean, I think they combined 30 tackles for loss and 15 sacks, I think, in the last 15, 16 sacks in the last two weeks. And that's, that's against two conference teams in Auburn, Arkansas. That's, that's unreal. That's nuts. So that's going to be a massive challenge for Alabama's offensive line to go on the road this week and face that unit. But this week, AM's offense had nine explosive plays of 15 plus yards. Three rushing, six passing. AM's offense was did, did well. Fourth quarter left a little bit to be desired, especially in the second half, though. Really, I mean, the Max Johnson pick six kind of kept Arkansas in that he jumped that route, Lorando Johnson, and that was a good play by him. But Arkansas, speed Arkansas, Arkansas's offense is too predictable. And you kind of felt when Luke Haas, the freshman tight end, who's a big part of their passing game, especially on third down, when he went out, massive loss. But interesting thing of note here with 230 left in the first quarter, Jefferson hit. KJ Jefferson hit Rocket Sanders on a screen pass that Sanders took for a 38-yard gain to set up Arkansas's second field goal drive. Arkansas's next completed pass after the, the pass that was completed to Rocket Sanders for the screen pass at 2.30 in the first quarter. The next completed pass was with 1.22 left in the third quarter. More than half the game later, about 31 minutes of game time later, they completed another pass. Whew. That's under the right. Nobody even talking about that. But for Arkansas, the personnel groupings tip it every time. They've gone away from tempo this year, which has been a big success for Arkansas. So, so teams have time to substitute, uh, get set before Arkansas snaps the ball. Opposing defenses know when number 89, Nathan Bags, comes in, they do not have to account for him defensively in the passing game because he's an extra blocker. He's an extra blocker. They also know when number 20, Dominic Johnson, who happened to get moved to fullback this year, Today during practice, I saw when he comes in, it's, he's usually going to be a lead blocker for a quarterback run or sprint out. They're tipping their plays by the personnel, and it's so obvious. I mean, therefore, the AM defense and defensive coordinator DJ Durkin blitzed the formation because they knew what was coming. They thought, Art Razorback offensive line, man, just not good right now. That's an issue with the head coach. That's an issue with the head coach right now who's an offensive line guy. Does he make a change at the end of the year with his young coach, Cody Kennedy? But I've heard it's like a son to him. It's going to be a tough move to make. You heard him stick up for him earlier when I was going around the SEC. This offensive line needed to add some guys from the portal, at least from a depth standpoint from a roster management this offseason. I think Pittman and Cody Kennedy were just way too old, the guys they recruited on the roster. I, I don't know why, but they were. But one quick thought on this Dan Eno's hire. Was it a good one? I predicted in the offseason K.J. Jefferson would take a step back this year. If you've watched him this year, you've had to have noticed it too. You'll notice that he does not look like the same player. And I said all offseason. K.J. Jefferson is not the same player as Jalen Hurts. That, that was the example everyone, all the defenders of Danny Enos, the Danny Enos hire were promoting was the, the improvement, the physical improvement, the developmental improvement of Jalen Hurts in 2018 as the backup quarterback. I mean, Jefferson, I, I never got that. But Jefferson has a lot of raw skills. There's no denying He's the ability to run, very hard to bring down, does not take a lot of sacks, has a very strong arm. He also takes good care of the football, really puts it in harm's way. But he lacks field vision you'd expect from a high-level, pro-level style passer. He's not terrible, but it's not a strength of his. The Bryles system was the perfect fit for K.J. Jefferson. Sam Pittman had to have thought if he was going to make this move to Danny Enos, he wanted to get back to running the football, establish and run, throw off play action. you got to have a top four or five unit in the league to do that. He does not. There's no way he didn't see that going into the season. But he hired Danny Enos. But again, the, him thinking the offensive line was better than it was had to be the only reason because K.J. Jefferson is a single-read quarterback. 
This hire of Dan Enos has failed KJ Jefferson, and I called it going into the season. I called it going into the season. Not a good hire by Sam Pittman. But what's next? Texas A&M, next two games. They get Alabama at home, 2.30 CBS game this week. Then they go at Tennessee before their bye week. Woo! They need to split them. They need to split them. Got to like their chances against Alabama this week. We'll, we'll preview a little bit heading up. Then Arkansas at Ole Miss this week and then at Alabama the next week. Remember, uh, Ole Miss, that'll be the SEC Network night game. And then at Alabama, they announced the 11 a.m. Central Standard Time zone. Arkansas, man, again, this will be their third trip away from home. From they, I mean, they won't be in Fayetteville for four straight weeks. Texas A&M, Alabama, driver's seat game. Driver's seat game. It'll be real interesting to see how that game goes. That matchup, uh, the big matchup to watch in that one is definitely going to be Alabama's offensive line versus probably the best defensive line in the SEC in that Texas A&M defensive line. I mean, that is a crazy stat. They have had 30 tackles for loss in either 15, 16 sacks in the last two weeks. And that's not against New Mexico State. And I know Auburn struggles on offensive line and offensive in offense in general. You know, Arkansas's offensive line obviously struggling. That's two SEC opponents you've done that to. That's crazy, man. 30 tackles for loss, 15 sacks in two weeks. Doesn't happen much. Does not happen much. Next, Alabama gets the 40-17 win in Starville over Mississippi State. Good overall performance, I thought, from Alabama. I lean to say pretty impressive. Alabama did give State some chances early to kind of stick around, hang in the game, but State could not take advantage of Jalen Milrow taking some unnecessary sacks, Kool-Aid McKinstry muffing the punt that Alabama ultimately recovered. But Jalen Milrow, what's a good but efficient day? 10 for 12, 164 yards, no touchdowns, interception. Will that be good teams on the road? I, mean, I guess we'll find out this week. I think Alabama's going to have to throw a little more uh, because I think the run game's going to be a little tough to come by. Uh, Alabama had another game where they showed improvement, though, in the offensive line. I'll say that. They're going to be really tested this week, but they showed improvement. Caden Proctor, true freshman from Iowa who starts at left tackle, that was his best game. It was his best. That was his best game of the season so far. Seth McLaughlin, the center, has to get the snap issues figured out. I I, I don't understand how this is such a big issue uh, right now. I mean, it's an every-game issue. That, that can't happen at Kyle Field this week if you're Alabama. That can't happen because Alabama's going to have to win on first down. They can't be getting in second and seven, third and seven type situations, especially with snap issues. That has to get fixed this week. Uh, you also got to factor in a little bit here. New OC, Tommy Reese, also have second year off the line coach Eric Wolford working together. There's going to be an adjustment period on what they want to do. You can tell they're uh, doing some duo stuff up front on the offensive line, changing some scheme in the run game. They've gotten better, really, since the South Florida game. And, again, I kind of throw that one out the door. Jalen Milrow didn't even pull. It just kind of tossed that one out the window. Offense slowly improving, though, slowly improving. Jalen Mill improving. Jalen Milrow, an efficient day, wouldn't say great, he did what was asked of him. Uh, defensively, it was a good performance, but you could see they missed Deontay Lawson some in the middle, has the high ankle sprain he suffered against Ole Miss. You can tell there's a little bit more of a drop-off in the game Saturday than there was when Lawson went out against Ole Miss. I mean, but Jihad Campbell had a hell of a game, too. Played very well. Um, but the defense overall played good, not great, but definitely good enough to win. I think, honestly think the ball control for Alabama is helping that defense. And the defense – Three turnovers, starting to collect more turnovers. I think they're tied for as many turnovers they had for, at this point, last year already. Yeah, or for the season. I saw some sad story. I should know that better. But Alabama, just overall, getting more sacks than they produced any time in the last two or three years. Uh, we'd like to see a little bit more quarterback run game. I think they need to start factoring that in. But apparently talking to people over there, Jalen Milrow doesn't really have a real natural feel for the read option. He just doesn't for what it is. So I think they're kind of like, 
let's don't force a square peg into a round hole, even though it sounds awesome. Um, let's just don't fix – let's just don't do that because we would rather not turn the ball over because we're good defensively. We're exceptional at special teams. We'll get into that in a minute. Wide receiver Jermaine Burton barely played. Said it wasn't any discipline or injury standpoint. I mean, he looked pretty energetic cheering on his teammates on the sideline, but never had his helmet in his game. Never really looked like a threat to go in the game. Maybe they're just kind of building some receiver depth. I don't know. I don't know. But um, Alabama – Alabama may have the best specialist in the country. Will Riker, 11-11 for the season. Alabama's all-time leading scorer, 51 is longest. Punter, James Burnup, averaging 48.9 yards per punt, with 67 being his longest. I mean, Alabama's defensive special teams are championship level right now. It is what it is. Uh, but moving on, Alabama at Texas A&M. We'll talk about that a little bit preview. Massive game, driver's seat game for the SEC West. Mississippi State goes non-conference with the Western Michigan Broncos coming to town. Mississippi State trying to get a get-right game. Lost three straight to LSU, South Carolina, and Alabama. They need to get a win under the belt. They need to get a win under their belt. But that was it. Alabama looking solid. A little bit – just not very impressed with Mississippi State. A little bit more underwhelmed with Mississippi State than I was impressed with Alabama. Even though Alabama had a pretty much dominant performance for themselves for what their – a dominant performance with them would look like this year. Uh, but moving on from that one – Uh, Georgia over Auburn, 27-20. I was impressed with Auburn. Give them credit. Not as some end-all, be-all team. Not going to really contend for the division, but just overall, just the game plan, the adjustments. Players playing to their max ability, hitting their full ceiling. And the atmosphere in Jordan Hare was crazy, from what you could tell on TV. Hugh Freeze took over play calling. I kind of hinted that may happen on on Wednesday's episode, usually the Thursday episode, but remember we pushed it back to Wednesday last week. They announced it before the game. Hugh Freeze was taking over. You could tell. They stuck with the game plan. I said they needed to. Run the football. Be patient. I know some people are like, well, we're just running into a brick wall every time. Man, we're not only getting a yard or two. Well, that's going to set up something else. It's going to get some eye candy where you can maybe get on the edges because they're going to have to respect your trying to run in between the tackles. There's Sometimes there's plays to set up plays. It's just what it is sometimes. Um, ran for 219 yards on a solid Georgia defense. Only four offenses have done that against Auburn since against Georgia since 2017. Only four offenses have ran for over 200 yards on the Georgia defense since 2017. Auburn doing it twice in 2017 and on Saturday. 43 rushing attempts. They stuck with it. Give Hugh Freeze credit. He knew they had to be patient and stick with it. Peyton Thorne leading rusher. Uh, probably on that run, if Robbie, that's Robbie Ashford on that one. He probably scores. I know Peyton Thorne got hawked down there. But Jarquez Hunter had a solid day. Peyton Thorne played better than he did against AM, but it's not much better. I mean, are they going to finish off big teams or good teams with Peyton Thorne at quarterback? I mean, Auburn, they could win any game left, especially at home. Like Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Alabama. Two for 12 on third down is not going to get it done. That's not going to get it done. Uh, Auburn, I appreciate the game plan. They stuck with it. They said they did exactly what I said they needed to do. Hugh Freeze must watch the show. But Peyton Thorne still is just not the answer at quarterback. I don't know what is. I mean, Robbie Ashford probably fits the Freeze system better than anyone. They just don't trust him. I think Peyton Thorne has more of a grasp of the full system. But Robbie Ashford has a full ceiling. Two for 13, again, though, not going to get it done. But Auburn, against really anybody in the SEC at home this year, is going to be tough. It's going to be tough to go into Jordan here and get a, get a win. Offensively, Georgia has to start being more explosive. Bobo has to start trusting Carson Beck more. And people are down on Carson Beck, and I don't get it. The dude was 23 for 33, 313 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Going back and watching the game yet last night, I mean, Auburn probably doesn't win the game. I mean, Georgia probably doesn't win the game without Carson Beck. Yeah, he had some errant throws, some balls behind Carson Beck. Uh, 
Brock Bowers at Brock Bowers had a one-handed catch to extend drives. But again, though, I thought he was cool, collective in a hostile in his first hostile environment. Remember, it was Georgia's first road game, Carson Beck's first road start. Don't think it was that bad. I, I think it's not as simple as Mike Bowie doesn't trust him. I've heard some stuff. You got to look on the backside of cover too. He missed some stuff, but I think it's some stuff they can fix. Mike Bobo getting more comfortable with the personnel. They need Lad McConkey back. Remember, they're a little bit beat up. If I'm George, I'm taking this win for what it is. This year in the SEC in the 2023 schedule or season, 2023 SEC, do not take road wins in this conference for granted. You better celebrate them because if there's the most parity and not as top heavy as the SEC has been in a long time. Going back before we move on to games, I thought Auburn's defense played well. Defensively, you saw good things from Marcus Harris. We signed him when I was at Kansas. Montgomery kid. Eugene Asante continuing to do what he does. Larry Nixon at the linebacker position I thought played well. But what's next? Georgia. They got a big showdown on Saturday night in Athens gets undefeated Kentucky. What's going to happen? A lot of people think Kentucky got a real shot. I'm not totally sold on that. I'll give you some predictions on on Thursday. I'm not ready to say Kentucky goes into Athens and win. I think Devin Leary's get to play out of his mind. But again, tougher matchup than Georgia is probably anticipating heading into the season. Auburn trying to get some things right, going into their bye week before they go to Baton Rouge in two weeks. Hugh Freeze stick to play calling, figure some things out. Auburn could maybe take advantage of that weak LSU defense, especially in the back end. I'll be interested to see what they draw up in Tiger Stadium, a place traditionally Auburn struggles to win at. It's only won what once since 1998, I think. Crazy enough, Brian Harson ended that streak in 21. But, again, that's what next. Georgia's got a big one against Kentucky this week. It, it's, it's a must – not a must-have because Kentucky has Alabama on the schedule. It wouldn't be a shocker if Kentucky beat Georgia and then went and lost two games and Georgia still won the East. Would not be shocked at all. Honestly, would probably bet that would happen. Uh, and then Auburn bye week before they go to Tiger Stadium. Up next, we got Tennessee – getting the 41-20 win over South Carolina. And I was harassed all Friday from South Carolina fans when I said, when I predicted that they would win by 20-plus. When I predicted, I think I predicted to lose, when I think it was 38-14 was what I predicted. Final was 41-20. Not far off. I was, this guy doesn't know ball. Uh, what's this guy talking about? We beat him last year. I don't know what the hell last year has to do with this year. But getting specifically to this game, Getting center Cooper Mays back at Tennessee was massive. It was massive. Joe Milton looked a little bit more comfortable with him under center. The cohesiveness between the center and quarterback, you could tell, was a little bit there. It was more it was there more so than it's been all season through really the first four weeks. Joe Milton wasn't fantastic, but he looked a little bit more comfortable. I mean, 21 for 32, 239 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, the one over the middle can't happen. Prayers up for Brew McCoy. Probably not probably. He's out for the season. Had surgery. I think a broken ankle on Sunday afternoon. It's a big position, big possession receiver, Tennessee loss. It's a big one. It's a big one. It really is. Uh, but really focused on the kid's health. Prayers up for Brew McCoy. It was a tough injury there. It's one of those, I think his ankle was flat the other way. If you're kind of queasy about stuff like that, do not go research that. But prayers up for Brew McCoy. It's hope he bounces back. It's going to be a big loss for Tennessee. Talking about South Carolina, Spencer Rattler here. Like I told him, Tennessee's defensive line is going to win their one-on-one matchups against South Carolina. Tennessee led the league in sacks. South Carolina was let, gave up the most sacks in the league going into this past week. This game wasn't that hard to figure out. Again, I told you going into the offseason, this was my most confident game in the SEC going into the year. I mean, you can throw in the revenge factor. You can throw it's in Neyland Stadium. I mean, Tennessee kind of downplayed the revenge factor all week, but you know it was in their head. Um, it's just a bad matchup. I don't care what happened. Tennessee's defensive line has improved this year. I don't care what happened in Gainesville. And they're a lot better in South Carolina's offensive line, and they won their one-on-one battles. 
it may also make South Carolina's offense go two for four, 15 in third downs. Two for 15 on third down. That ain't going to win on the road. Spencer Rattler wasn't great, but also he didn't have a lot of time. Like I said, he wasn't. He was 24 for 35, 169 yards and an interception, a big interception in the half that went for six that let Tennessee have a 24-10 lead at the half. Kind of put it away. I mean, South Carolina really never bounced back to that. Tennessee went and, went and hit. But you could tell South Carolina was trying to use some tight ends and a protection to help. It's not Dow Logan's fault. It just is what it is. They're out, man. But Tennessee's defensive line, like I kept saying, just went in their one-on-one battles, and I knew they would. I mean, talking about Tennessee's defense, Tim Banks didn't have to dial up much pressure because their front four were winning all the time pretty consistently. It's just not a good matchup for South Carolina. South Carolina fans did not believe me. But a bye week couldn't come at a perfect time for South Carolina. Another must-have next week in Columbia for South Carolina's off this week. Got to get some things figured out, especially up front of the offensive line. But they have Florida coming into town to Willie B, to Williams-Brice Stadium. Florida and South Carolina are both going to need that one. Those are the must-wins heading into week seven. Um, I think Tennessee is going to be a tough out at home this year. I think they are. They're going to struggle on the road on the other end of that as well. That's my prediction for the Vols right now. Uh, Both teams on a bye week this year. I just think Tennessee is going to be a very inconsistent team on the road. Joe Milton's kind of starting to show I'm going to be consistently inconsistent, if that if that makes sense. Then you throw away Brew McCoy. It's a bigger loss than some people are going to talk about. It's one of his go-to receivers on third down. Big body possession receiver, big on those third and five, third and seven, get to the sticks, make plays. How do they figure that in? Um, but, again, both teams going to the bye week, but Tennessee getting the much-needed 41-20 win over South Carolina. I mean, their backs were against the wall. Tennessee had to have that win, and they got it. Moving on to the next one, Kentucky gets the 34-14 win over Florida. Florida just looked from the beginning. This was 11 a.m. Central Standard Time kickoff. Florida looked disinterested to me in this one. It was almost like the game was in November and they were – because remember, Florida kids don't play well in the cold. They just don't – naturally, these kids – most of the Florida kids have played high school in the state of Florida. They're from Florida. They're used to playing in warmer weather. This would look like something you would see a Florida team go do – in November, like I said, when it was cold, being 47 degrees in the morning, but it wasn't. Just a very lethargic effort on defense, especially defense. That's surprising with what Austin Armstrong had been doing. I mean, Florida came into this game leading the SEC in total defense. But Kentucky running back Ray Davis almost went for 300, 280 to be exact, averaged 10.8 yards per carry and had four touchdowns. SEC player of the week. How about the big blue wall? The Kentucky offensive line flexing its muscle. Best performance in the last two years by this Kentucky. This is what we've been wanting to see. Obviously, you can't expect a 280 performance on the ground every week, but dominant performance. Really, you just just pushed Florida around. I didn't expect that either. That's where I was wrong this week. I like the guys on Florida's defensive line, especially guys like Cameron Jackson. But, you know, the rushing stat, besides the rushing stats for Kentucky, they gave up no sacks. Just the most, probably the most impressive unit of the week was the big blue wall uh, rushing for 280, uh, just over 300, I think, in total. And they gave up no sacks. Just a phenomenal performance. Kentucky's put itself in a good position. To sneak, maybe not sneak up on Georgia, but they put themselves in a good position to go. Beat Georgia being first place in the SEC East. I mean, they saved their best game for their most important game this past week against Florida. They got up quickly. And I said, if if Kentucky, if I'm Mark Stoops and you don't want to do this, you got to go take shots early. You got to get up early, get Florida out of their lead. I mean, they went up and got up 17, 23, nothing right out of the gate, put pressure on Florida to get out of their comfort zone and have to throw to come back. That is not what Graham Mertz wants to do. Remember, I bring up the stat going all the way back to Wisconsin. When Graham Mertz has to throw the ball 30 times, and he threw it exactly 30 times. 
when he has to throw the ball 30 times or more in his career, he's like one in 11. It's not good. So the key to beating Florida is getting ahead, making them throw from behind because that's not what they want to do. They want to run the football, but they got too far behind, 23 nothing. Had to play catch up. Kentucky defense coordinator Brad White, fantastic game plan. Mixed some stuff up with his fronts. Had defensive linemen standing up, uh, doing some stunts, twists. They confused Florida. They had them all over the place. It was simple. Kentucky did not allow the simple plays to turn into explosive plays. Florida's defense did. The simple plays turned into 50, 60-yard gains. Kentucky did not. They made the plays in front of them, tackled what's in front of them. I don't really think he was a scheme or game plan issue by Florida. I really don't. I, I I didn't dislike their game plan. thought Billy Napier and them had a solid game plan, but you didn't know offensively because they got behind so quick. Like I said, they had to change it. You get down 17, 23, nothing. You're in the first half, your initial game plan goes out the window. I just don't think the players came out with really a fire under their tail or not really no real energy out of the game. But big one for Kentucky this week. We mentioned it when we talked about Georgia. Chance to go get the lead for the SECs. Florida gets – Chance to get some revenge against Vanderbilt with a return trip uh, after Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt kind of dominated Florida and Nashville last week. Vandy heads to Gainesville. Florida needs this one, and they also, I mentioned it, they need the one next week too in, in Columbia to be a big one for South Carolina and Florida. But, again, Georgia hosts Kentucky this week and Florida hosts Vanderbilt. And then, finally, our last SEC game to review, Missouri getting the 38-21 win over Vanderbilt. How about Brady Cook, man? Everybody's talking about Jaden Daniels, Spencer Rattler. But obviously, I mean, Brady Cook's not on the same level as those two guys. Don't hear me out. But slowly creeping behind them. It's Brady Cook's play over the last three weeks. I thought he may be the issue going into the Kansas State game and why they would not win because the first two weeks they struggled. But on Saturday, 33 for 41, 395 yards, four touchdowns, big donut in the interception category, three straight games for 300 yards or more. Has not thrown an interception yet this season. That's a bit concerning if you're an LSU fan. With LSU going on the road this year, uh, this week, 11 a.m. at Como, biggest home game for Kentucky. I mean, for Missouri in a very long time. Biggest home game for Missouri in a very long time. Props to New OC though, coming over Fresno State. Kirby Moore doing a fantastic job developing Brady Cook. He also makes plays with his legs, guys. Don't forget about that. Uh, talking to Vanderbilt a little bit. Vanderbilt just struggles to protect anybody. Uh, they did bench. Um, A.J. Swan, who I thought had a high upside, but, again, has some bad turnovers at times. They benched him for Ken Seals, who wasn't terrible, but no quarterback's going to feel real comfortable in front of that stat line. I mean, they only gave up one sack, but they were in Steel's, Seals' face all day. But really wasn't Ken Seals' fault. Off to the line, can't protect, and they really can't cover anybody. Bombs over Baghdad all day. But what's next? Missouri, remember, posting the big one, 11 a.m. on ESPN against LSU. Must win for LSU. Missouri would love to have it. Uh, Vanderbilt goes on the road to Florida against a Florida team that has to have this one. Expect Florida not to overlook Vandy because Florida needs the next two. Vanderbilt's just kind of Clark Lee and that team just two and four right now. Just don't see a lot of optimism. And again, that's come from a guy who took the over win total three and a half. Why did I do that? I don't know. Uh, this is one of my bigger misses, but let's look a little bit, uh, a little SEC standings heading in to. Week six, talk a little power rankings. SEC standings heading into week six right now. Here we go. All right, so as you can tell, in the SEC East, Georgia sitting 2-0, 5-0 overall. Kentucky 2-0, 5-0. They match up in Athens on Saturday night. 
first place in the East on the line. Missouri sitting one and zero in conference uh, with their win over Vanderbilt. They host LSU this week. They're five and zero overall. Missouri's going to easily hit their over win total. Uh, I think it's five and a half. Florida one and one in conference, three and two overall. Tennessee one and one in conference, four and one overall. South Carolina one and two in conference, two and three overall. Vandy zero and two. Two informer, they played an extra game. They played Hawaii in that week zero. That's how the SEC East shakes out right now. Remember, we, we got first place in both divisions on the line between Georgia and Kentucky this week and then Alabama A&M. Alabama currently tied for first place with Texas A&M, 2-0 in conference, 4-1 overall. Texas A&M, like I mentioned, 2-0, 4-1 overall. LSU, 2-1 in conference, 3-2. They do not want to get to 2-2, 3-3 this week. I, T, I mean, if LSU were to win out, win the SEC, I know it's a long stretch right now, LSU fans. You don't even think you could cover your sandlot kids down the street. Uh, that secondary would have a hard time stopping the kids that live down the street from you right now. So I don't really think you're worried about winning out when the SEC get in the playoffs. But it's not crazy to think an SEC team who's 11-2 and two wins the SEC gets in, just depending how the Pac-12 shakes out. He's probably the best conference in the country right now, especially top-heavy. But LSU must-win situation. Must-win situation. They want to stay in the SEC West race. Uh, but, I, I mean, I say that. I mean, LSU just – one out after that, it wouldn't be good. I mean, it's not going to be crazy if there's a two-loss SEC West champ this year. It's just not. But, again, LSU 2-1, 3-2. and one, three and two. Ole Miss, 1-1, one 4-1 one, and one overall. Getting a big win, much-needed win against LSU. I'm telling you, Ole Miss beats Arkansas this week, 2-1, and one, and Alabama loses to Texas A&M. Ole Miss still has A&M who comes to Oxford. They just need Bama to lose one more time, which would be very possible. Ole Miss not out of the West race yet. Big win for LSU to save their chances there. Arkansas 0-2 in the league, dropping LSU and A&M 2-3 overall. Auburn 0-2 in the league, 3-2 overall. Mississippi State 0-3 in the league, 2-3 overall. Uh, updating you. Let's go to the SEC, my updated SEC power rankings. I shared them at lunch today. Uh, let's go to it right here. You can see it. There's no reason to hide and do the countdown. I got Georgia coming in at number one. Don't think that's a real shocker. They struggled some, but I do think uh, Georgia right now, from top to bottom, I think I would say he's number one. I wouldn't say overly confident, but I think they're number one. Number two, some call me crazy. Texas A&M, go watch the film, guys. I feel like everybody's just like, well, you didn't lost to Miami. How good they could be. Don't be shocked if Miami's playing in Charlotte for the ACC championship game against Florida State. The first time both those teams will play in the ACC championship game, I think it's going to be this year. I think Miami is going to play in the ACC championship game. It's not as bad of a loss as people think. Miami's better. They're sitting, they're sitting your last five to ten years, Miami. I think they're actually better this year. They are. I don't think it's a terrible loss. I got Alabama coming in at number three. I think Alabama's defense and special teams is a very good unit, championship level. Offense, we'll see. We'll see. Got a big matchup. Texas A&M's defensive line. And their ability to win on third down on offense and defense. That's why I got them at two. Both Alabama and Texas A&M have some strengths, but they have some holes too. A&M secondary. It's a hole. Alabama, can Jalen Milrow be consistent, not turn it over? Develop a short intermediate passing game. I think you could switch both of them. You could have an argument. Right now, I'd go A&M. Number two, Bama at three, I just mentioned. Missouri, I may have them a little too high here. Uh, number four, We'll see this week. We'll see this week. Again, I think one through seven here, you can make a lot of different arguments. And it'll probably change after this week. Remember, we got two first-place battles coming in this week. But Missouri, I mean, they, they got some of the better wins. I mean, they beat K-State, the defending Big 12 champs, beat a solid Memphis team who beat Boise this past week. 
Don't don't think it's crazy. You got Missouri at four, Kentucky at five. Been a little consistent one through four, but saved their best game for last week against Florida. I got them at five. Ole Miss saving themselves. Solid win at home over LSU. Got the Rebs at six. Got LSU at seven still. I know they got two losses. Must win the situation, but you could make an argument. LSU could be three or four too. Maybe even two, just on a given day. That's how crazy the SEC this year is. But I think LSU at seven. Tennessee at eight. Again, I think Tennessee is going to be pretty solid at home this year. That's why I think they have a real shot to beat AM and Georgia at home this year. I think it's going to be a very inconsistent, ugly unit on the road. But Tennessee coming at eight. Florida at number nine. I know Tennessee lost to Florida, but I have Tennessee. I think top to bottom, they're better. I would rather play Florida than Tennessee. I'll tell you that. Uh, Florida coming at nine. Just disappointing, discouraging performance against Kentucky this past week. Just didn't see that coming. I was wrong there. South Carolina coming at 10, still a lot of issues on the offensive line. That's where exactly where I was right, calling the Tennessee over South Carolina game. South Carolina just has major problems up front. Spencer Rattler needs some more playmakers, needs some protection. Got him at 10. Uh, Auburn played their tails off on Saturday. Jordan Hare had a real shot late in the game to win that game against Georgia. Coming in 11th, offense still a little too inconsistent. I'm kind of far to see what wrinkles they put in during the off week before they head to Baton Rouge. Arkansas, offensive line. I feel like the SEC's offensive lines aren't good. But Arkansas coming in at 12 right now. Just don't like how K.J. Jefferson's being used. The offensive line's not good right now. It's just a lot of things. Defense, playing hard, a little bit more opportunistic. But just right now, I don't really like them. They got a must. They're, they're back against the wall in Oxford this week. Mississippi State, offense, don't – all over the place. Defense a little inconsistent, especially in the back end. <sighs> Thank goodness they got that Arizona win in overtime. And then Vanderbilt, just not really good at anything except the skill guys, and I don't think the quarterbacks are as bad as they're playing. I just think the offensive line is just really poor. But that's where you got. So you got Georgia at number one, Texas A&M number two, Alabama number three, Missouri four, Kentucky five, Ole Miss six, LSU seven, Tennessee eight, Florida nine, South Carolina 10, Auburn 11, Arkansas 12, Mississippi State 13th. Vanderbilt coming at 14th. And, again, I think you're going to see a lot of changes from one through seven this week. A lot of changes. I just have a feeling. Just have a feeling. Moving on. Before we get you out of here, let's preview week six just a little bit. Let's preview week six. Share the screen again. Pull up this week's schedule. A lot of share screen, a lot of sharing of the screen. I just want to give you a few more uh, – more visuals, but here we are for this week's schedule. We've mentioned some of it. LSU, pull up some lines to you. Hold with me for just a second. All right, here we go. Here's some lines. So LSU uh, at Missouri, top 25 matchup, 23rd ranked LSU at 21st ranked Missouri on ESPN, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time Zone. Again, must win for LSU. Missouri would love to have it, but they don't have to have it. LSU currently favored by six and a half on Monday night as we head to that game on Saturday. Uh, Western Michigan at Mississippi State, we talked about it. It's a get-right game for Mississippi State. Just took three straight conference losses in a row. They need to get back on track, kind of get an identity on offense, get some guys healthy. But that's an 11 a.m. Central Standard Time kickoff on the SEC Network. Mississippi State currently a 20-and-a-half point favorite heading to that one. The big one, 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone, the SEC on CBS game, Alabama at Texas A&M. How Texas A&M is not ranked is baffling to me. Again, people holding them down for a loss to Miami against a good Miami team. Alabama opened up as a seven-and-a-half point favorite. That line is currently down to two-and-a-half. Woo! Woo! Man, this is going to be a fun match. I think this matchup, and I'll usually preview the matchup on Thursday's episode, as you know, it's going to be the Alabama offensive line. Pre-snap penalties, procedural stuff against the dominant Texas A&M 
defensive line. I told you, 30 sacks, 15, 30 tackles for loss, 15 sacks in back-to-back weeks against SEC competition. That's that's crazy. Bama's has their hands full this weekend. Be one of the more impressive wins Nick Saban's had in the last three years, and they've won a national championship that period. Just be very impressive. Uh, 3 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone kick. Vanderbilt at Florida on the SEC Network. Florida currently favored by 18 and a half. Vandy, who knows how this team's reacting. Florida, they need it as they set up another must-win situation in Columbia, South Carolina, heading into week seven. 6 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone kick. Kentucky at Georgia, first place in the SEC East on the line. Top 25 matchup, top 20 matchup on ESPN. Georgia currently favored by 14 and a half. I think it opened up at 17. People must be taking some money on Kentucky. It's lower than it, but currently 14 and a half. And then 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone kick Arkansas at Ole Miss. Arkansas needs this one. Ole Miss needs this one. On the SEC Network, Ole Miss currently an 11 and a half point favorite. You'll get my predictions and even in more in-depth previews of the week six on Thursday's episode. But again, we got two first place games on the line. First place in the SEC West with Alabama going to Kyle Field to play Texas A&M. First place in the East with Kentucky heading to Sanford Stadium to play Georgia at night. Woo! Got some big games this week, guys. We got some big games this week. But, again, I appreciate you joining us for this 58, almost right at an hour standpoint episode. We had a long around the SEC. Dan Enos, is he the right answer for Arkansas? KJ Jefferson looks like he's regressed. I called that going into the season in my quarterback rankings. Don't, Don't say you didn't hear it here first. Uh, we had a week five review, all seven SEC matchups. Um, Money-making weekend, stepping up, baby. Five, three, and one this weekend. We're 25 and 24 in the season, 51% on the season. Goals to get to 60%. And then we previewed some of the week six matchups. Remember, we got an SC, first place in the SEC West on the line, first place in the SEC East on the line. Lots to cover. I can't wait to do some breakdowns over the next 48, uh, 60 hours before the next episode on Thursday. But I hope you have a fantastic week. Come join us on Thursday's episode. You have a great night. Appreciate you joining us on this episode of Mock 10 Sports. Keep following us on Mock 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.